Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and we're, we're back for part two of <laughs> Why Therapists Quit. And our episode a couple of weeks ago garnered quite a bit of commentary from our audience. We felt that... We were reaching out to some of the people who had responded to us and thought that because it was such a big discussion that was unfolding, that we would come back to it. And I noticed in the responses to us that there seemed to be kind of three categories, but I'll, I'll put it into two if you want to tease it out into three. That We'll see where this episode <laughs> goes. But on one end of this, we got a lot of criticism from some of our listeners here around the negative tone that the episode seemed to take. And despite us framing it as an episode of this is about therapist quit and about therapists, personal responses to systemic problems that we had some positive calls to action at the end, it still left a foul taste in some people's mouths. On the other hand, we had some very positive responses that people felt very validated. And in kind of looking at some of the commentary and knowing some of the people who reached out to us, it became very clear that the negative responses came from people earlier in their careers, either people who are still students or very early on in their associateships or internships, whereas many of the positive responses came from people who have been licensed and either for a few years or several years. And so it's very interesting to parse out some of those responses. That third category, we had a couple of people who aren't mental health professionals reach out to us as well. Um, their responses kind of echoed those of students and people newer to the career. And Katie and I have had a number of discussions here over the last couple of weeks as far as where does this sit with us? And one of the comments in particular that I would like to start this out with is around that we're, we're maybe doing the, the profession a disservice by speaking negatively about it. It seems like this episode really struck a nerve, especially around that point, that we're doing a disservice by speaking the truth of our own experiences, but also of the colleagues and others that we've talked to. And to me, whether the term was impaired and harmful or cynical and entitled, I, 
I understood the response, but to me, the the thing that felt very surprising about those responses were either a level of feeling betrayed or feeling angry at us. And to me, I felt like there was a lot of soul searching that both of us did. And I think even in our conversations together, like, are we just too burnt out to be talking about this? Like, is this something where we are doing some sort of disservice here? And I'm like, no, I mean, we even reference back to toxic work environments. We could reference back to the burnout system or, you know, there's many times we've talked about this topic specifically. And maybe this is, a you know, kind of more a reflection of our the growing listenership and the expansion of who's listening and why they're listening. But to me, I was surprised at that. And, and my initial response was as a human saying, wait, wait a second, I'm, I'm speaking truth. I'm trying and, and always feel like I'm trying to do what's I feel like in the best of the profession. And so to be called harmful that just felt really bad. Like I, I was just like, wait a second, don't I get to, don't I get to have an opinion? Like, what is this about? And, and I, and I, as I was reflecting on it, I recognized that part of what the system requires from so many in, in this profession is to hold it at this sunshine and rainbows level. Because if we say, Hey, this job is really hard it adds something to our individual therapeutic relationships with our clients. It adds something to potentially what our relationship is with our supervisees. If we're in that role where we have to like have this uncomfortable conversation about, are you wanting to be here talking to me right now? Do you want to help me? And so to me, it was like, well, I'm not necessarily worried about that because I think that's part of showing up as a whole person. And part of it also is my responsibility as a human to be able to do what I need to do to show up for each of my clients and each of my consultees or supervisees or whatever that is. Like I, I feel like we can have that be true and have the other piece be true, which is I'm doing the best within the system to show up in the way that I can. I think part of what really sparked a lot of Katie in my early work is our, our friend Ben Caldwell's book, Saving Psychotherapy. And Ben was one of our therapy reimagined speakers during our first conference and very powerfully started off the conference by pointing out that fewer and fewer people are going to therapy, that therapists are getting paid less and less, especially when you adjust for you know, inflation over the last couple of decades that there's an ever expanding number of requirements that are being added onto therapists. And we hear all the time about this mental health crisis that's going to happen, that already is happening, that has a constant individual responsibility for systemic problems. Because when therapists are framed to have to give and give and give and deal with all of the issues that come up in their work, to be present for clients who are going through these things. Many of us enter into the profession with that as our intention, to help people through their hardest times. Yes. Where we don't get this information early enough in our career until it slaps us in the face is how we also face that from the systems above us. 
And so it ends up being this push-pull between being responsible for clients, which we want to do. Yeah. We want to help people on. But you know, we talk about you know the number of client caseloads, the number of clients that would go on a caseload being more than can be actually physically seen. Our abilities to be able to be reimbursed are based on a medical model that is not possible for mental health care providers. You know, if I go to the doctor, doctor has four or five different patient rooms, you know, patients can sit around for 15, 20 minutes while he's seeing somebody else wrapping up and he can just bounce from room to room. I can't have four or five different people waiting for me to show up for an hour at a time. And so yeah. the, the reimbursements end up being things that are larger system sort of things. But there seems to be this dissonance within the profession around not being able to speak negatively about it until people actually run into these problems themselves. We only want to focus on the good. And we do good work. I believe in therapy. Yeah. There's lots of ways to make therapy better. And there's lots of ways of making the profession better for therapists. Yeah. It's this expectation that therapists are going to be good all of the time. That is an unrealistic standard. And that we're going to be altruistic every single moment. That we're not going to have humanity. Yet time and time again, our most popular episodes are around dealing with burnout. Mm -hmm. How to do better self-care. The toxic work environment sort of things that... Yeah are individual responses to systemic problems. So for us to speak to the individual responses to the systemic problems, we have to look at the systemic problems in order to change the system. And we've been pretty consistent with that through nearing 200 episodes now of looking at ways to improve the therapy systems, looking at ways to advocate. And this is really hard to hear when you're either moving out of a profession that's you know, not based on giving and altruism being self-fulfilling, uh, you know, getting out of the rat race of some other fields here. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that we as a mental health profession have things figured out and that we're great to everybody who's involved. And that's the role that Katie and I really feel like being able to address means that we can take this from not just kind of allowing this to continue to happen and pass this on to the next generation of therapists to be burned out, but to take our lived experiences and to be able to use those as jumping off points for reasons to change the system so that way other people don't have to feel the same way. I think it's hard for folks to recognize when we're framing a problem versus when we're trying to solve the problem. And to me, framing the problem is so, so it's critical to be able to solve it. Like we have to frame the problem. We have to understand it. And I think research shows that if you opt in, and I'll have to find this to put this in the show notes, but research shows that if you actually opt in to a crappy job, like you fully understand what the crappy job is and you opt in, you're more likely to stay than if you've been lied to and enter it without, uh, 
knowledge of what you're actually signing up for. Even if it's like, hey, this job is going to be super crappy. <laughs> like it's hard, blah, blah, blah. Like this is the real deal. You know, you actually still will stay if you've, if you've decided and opted in. And so I don't feel bad about letting people know, you know, behind the curtain what therapy can look like. But I, as you were talking about folks who are kind of shifting careers, so not the folks that are like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you know, they just finished their bachelor's program and they're looking to, to become a therapist. And so they're looking at master's programs or they're just in and getting ready to start practicum, like, you know, like brand new first career folks, like they need to know what they're in for. But I was thinking about second career folks and, and I, I actually have a lot of these folks in my own therapy practice not necessarily thinking about moving to to therapy, but people who are in highly lucrative careers and they feel burned from the corporate system. You know, they, you know, they don't want to just focus on money or they don't want to just focus on sales or, or whatever it is. And, and I think about would I, if, if it was of interest to them or they started down that path, if I was going to, to whether or not I would recommend, I guess, becoming a therapist. And I think I would. And I think that just because I framed a problem with a system does not mean I don't think it's a worthy endeavor. And I think, and, and maybe I'm just saying this in a, in a more per, you know one-on-one -on -one way versus a systemic way, but I, I think if people can know what they're signing up for, and, and maybe, maybe we would need to do an episode of why therapists stay or that kind of stuff, but I feel like, you know, our episode, our, our podcast is for therapists. So I think they kind of know why they want to be a therapist, but like, but to me, it's like you get into it for the meaningfulness. And so getting back to being able to focus on that feels most important, but we can't do that if the system shackles us to diagnostic systems that don't reflect real people or reimbursement systems that require tons and tons of flips and gymnastics <laughs> in order to be able to get reimbursed or inefficient programs that mean that you're spending more time on bureaucracy than on clinical work. Like to me, it's a worthwhile endeavor. If you go in without knowledge, you're not going to stay. And so being aware of what the problems are allow you to actually opt in and stay in the work, but they also, and, and this is where we're going to be heading in, in a few weeks <laughs> with a new series that we're putting together. It, if you're armed with knowledge around what the problems are in the system, you can identify opportunities to make big changes because I think we're in a really great time in society to be able to make some changes to the system at large. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. 
Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Best summarized by the philosopher Bojack Horseman. <laughs> when you're wearing rose-colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. Yes. Yes. You know, research that you're referring to that, uh, and we'll link these in our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com, but, you know, there's this idealism about what therapy is to transform people and that it just doesn't look at the realities of what the implementation of that is. That many of the theories that we study are based on systems that predated private health insurance, at least in America. But this is also true with a lot of the people that we talk to all over the world, that even with nationalized healthcare sort of jobs, that people talk about having to go to work with work face on, to have therapist face, to go and <laughs> implement these mandated sort of things that are not the deep, passionate work that is sold on how we connect to our clients to get people into grad schools. That is, yeah. you know, to prop up our are newly developing therapists and support them that it's being able to try to match up what is why we enter into this profession what's the profession that's actually there and that's the advocacy piece because one of the comments that we saw echoes a comment that I regularly get in teaching my classes and some of the workshops that I give which is that yeah. we try to present things, I try to present things as having realism, but comes across as pessimism. And in the absence of optimism, a lot of things do just look like pessimism, but I think that there's a substantial difference between the two. And that is that, well, both realism and pessimism can point out problems. Pessimism inherently is a, this is never going to change. We, we must succumb yeah. to this. Whereas philosophically, realism is here's problems and there's things that we can do about it. And I think that oftentimes that the sour look at there are still problems here. There are things that prevent us from doing the things that enter into our profession as well as we would like to. People don't always hear the parts of, and there's possibilities for change. There's things that we can do to make things better. There's reasons to advocate and to create better systems around us. We can, as professionals, take space for ourselves so that way we can continue to do that. And that's the part where any sort of therapist who's going to say, I'm creating this space for myself, even if it echoes the parallel process of what's going on to a client, ends up looking like selfishness because it's not giving and giving and giving and giving. Now, on one hand, we hear, you know, your session needs to end at 48 minutes so that way you can hear a, or you can bill a specific CPT code and get reimbursed at the correct amount without needing to spend hours on the phone with an insurance company to get things sorted out. On the other hand, you hear, you know, those extra few minutes at the end of a session, those are really meaningful to me. 
you know, yeah. you're you're still facing a push pull between two different systems that have competing goals. And we're not always creating the space for the third goal of the therapist themselves having the space to actually be in this profession for reasons that might be fulfilling in other ways, making a decent living in order to be able to spend time with their family, in order to have a feeling of impact on the world, while also still being able to take care of themselves. And this is where this being a podcast for therapists to speak about very real therapist issues to not only just acknowledge that these are issues that we face, that it's important for us to remind our listening audience here that, you know, there's you know problems here. There's a, a validation here that we're trying to create, but we constantly are coming back to this call to action of we should be changing the system. And there are steps to do this. And, you know, Katie previewing, this uh, series that we have coming up that we firmly believe in is things that start to address many of these things that we find ourselves validating our audience with. So on the other end of the spectrum, so to speak, and this is from more of our experienced listeners, we did get support, I guess, (laughs) but also gratitude for validating the experience. And there were some folks that went to you know, kind of in the response to, hey, this was negative, went to, how dare you? You know, we should not be gaslighting new therapists and we don't, you know, I don't remember exactly the the phrases, so I'll stop making things up. But there was something there I want to speak to as well, which is folks who maybe are a bit more pessimistic than we actually are. <laughs> Like, this is horrible and it's never going to change. And how dare you say that it that we have to speak positively about something that's so messed up? And i've be, I've been in that spot. and I, I think especially right after, right before i I ejected from public mental health, I think I was in that spot. Like the system can never be fixed. I cannot do anything else. And I am very disappointed and rah. And so I think, to those folks who we validated, yes, valid, absolutely. This is really hard. And you probably have made a choice to shift your career a bit in order to be able to either be a therapist in a way that's more suited to you or become a coach or a course creator or whatever, so that you can still have an impact without some of the, the weight of being a therapist that we were describing. But I also don't want to let these folks off the hook because they're part of the solution I see. Yes. I think there's a critical mass that's needed. We talked about this in, I don't remember the episode, the name of the episode, but it was about the pre-licensee pay statement that you were by yourself banging the drum over and over again. And then as there was more awareness shown on that problem and then additional voices that joined yours, we were able to do something at a large professional association that may start tipping the the scales a little bit towards solving that particular problem in our profession. And so, you know, and we've talked about this a number of times, but we can't just move forward and leave the mess behind us. Like we, we as a profession, we're calling on folks who are passionate enough to be listening to this episode (laughs) 
to join the the critical mass that's needed to make some of these changes because there's big lifts that we're going to be talking about soon big things that could have huge impact but require all of us plus everyone we know to stand up and say these are the types of changes that are needed at the local level at the the county level at the state level at the national level and so to me i i want to say hey it's valid we know you're tired we know that that you've been chewed up and potentially spit out of this system but we still need your help not only are we validating the people who have been licensed and through this and survived but i think what's missed in this too is how many people don't make it yeah. who don't get licensed who quit who why they quit you know we we point out for our own personal reasons and some of the things you know that i think about afterwards after we recorded that episode is you know the number of people who quit to go and raise their own families you know they might mm-hmm. hold a license but they aren't actively working and it's because of a lot of the issues that we talked about that yeah. uh, we have a mailbag episode coming out next week where some of the very personal questions about the way that our profession impacts our relationship with those in the families. You know, check out next week's episode for our answer on that. <laughs> but a lot of these systemic issues come back to, again, one of Ben Caldwell's points. Therapies by the rich for the rich. You have to be able to mm-hmm. afford to have these problems. You have to be able to afford to be able to deal with these problems that systemically keeps a lot of people from being able to see their way through licensure. It disproportionately affects communities of color from entering into our profession. It is something where being able to make therapy more accessible for so many clients to meet the ever-changing demands of the system, we're also validating a lot of people who just didn't survive, who chose a different career path, who chose to become a full-time parent instead, who go and move on to a number of different things. And this is, again, a a part of where I was talking with somebody about, you know, if I was put in charge of a community mental health agency, some of the systemic things that I would do, and we talked about this in our systemic self-care episode, or our structural self-care episode around just being able to create more retention-based ideas around our workforce of being able to look at things beyond just throwing a couple of dollars more an hour at somebody that that doesn't change caseloads that are way too big. It doesn't change the off the clock requirements. There's articles that I saw about people working in community mental health that take vacation days to catch up on their notes in order to be able to meet demands for positions that are well beyond what we can do. And, you know, we can look at any other profession, you know, Amazon is one of the ones that, you know, hearing the warehouse workers, you know, job tasks that they have to do that you have people who are passing out on their warehouse floors that other employees are stepping over to meet their work quotas. Well, we're not quite there as far as what mental health professionals do, you know, all of the claims that we should unionize like Amazon workers are trying to do. Some places that works in our profession, a lot of places it doesn't. And so being able to change the system so that way 
even if we can't unionize, that we can still collectively come together and create some commands for respecting that therapy isn't this magical place that people just show up and their mental health is taken care of, that there's people on the other end of that too. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I think about shifting the smaller systems. And and you actually asked me this question before we started recording on what did I do to try to take care of my, my team, my staff members. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff I did. I tried to create efficiencies so they could focus on the clinical work and not all the bureaucracy. I, I created engagement activities, you know, let's go off and, and have supervision in a park or, you know, whatever. And we'll talk about philosophical things since we can't talk about cases in a public space or, you know, those kinds of things, helping them to opt in to how do we, how do we work within the system and do the problem solving together or realigning people with roles that fit better. You know, you want to work deeper with fewer cases. Let's put you in intensive. You want to work, you know, in more of a traditional way. Let's put you in a, you know, an outpatient, a typical outpatient model, whatever it is. And even with those things, and I think they were helpful, and I think there, there are folks that, that were working for me that are still working for me, that are working for the agency. And so there was at least some support that I did. It feels like at each stage, there's still that larger societal element of it that doesn't value monetarily mental health services. And so there's there's oftentimes not enough money to throw at this problem. Now, I don't think that will always be the case, especially now. And yes, stay tuned. There's some episodes about some systemic things that may throw money at this. <laughs> but but even with those things, I think it's it's something where each individual has to make their own decisions on where it's acceptable for them to work. I think people in leadership need to do their best to try to, to improve to the point that they can but I come back to the conversations that I think were most impactful for my staff were the ones where we talked in real talk about how we felt overwhelmed, what was hardest, about families that were yelling at us or families that were not complying with treatment and how hard it is. And when we honored this is a hard job. What therapists do, and especially therapists in community mental health that are going into folks' homes and, and into some situations that are, are a little bit lower on Maslow's hierarchy of needs than enlightenment and self-reflection, which some folks in private practice get to work on. But we are going into rooms, facing things that most people don't want to face, potentially being yelled at and and demanded of. And then we have a healing conversation. We go back, we do our notes, we rebuild ourselves up if we have enough time to do so. We talk with our colleagues and then we walk back into that room or space with the client where anyone else in their life probably would have walked away 
because of how hard it, what it is that there is that they're facing. I mean, we have a super hard job. And it's powerful. And because it's hard, it means that we can do amazing work. But we have to honor that because if we don't honor that, therapists are going to feel unseen. One of the comments that we got was, I hope that your clients don't listen to this. (laughs) And then there's that. (laughs) Which, interestingly enough, one of my clients did hear this episode. and Interesting. And I have permission to share this from the client, but part of our our session was around that this client had left to seek out another therapist within their insurance network and ultimately ended up coming back to me after a few months of seeing somebody else and gladly resumed paying the fee that I was charging that was much higher than their insurance costs. And the client said... I get why you charge what you do to create the space to be responsive in the ways that you can be makes sense. So that way you can take care of me, which is something that we've advocated from our end of things for a very long time. I think that we have a responsibility in our, our role in this podcast to show up for you as our audience. And you can disagree with us, but I, I, I don't care. You know. Oh, actually, we would, we would prefer it sometimes so that we can have something to talk about. <laughs> our, our responsibility is to you know, help to make this profession better and you know, to let, you know, we've been teasing this kind of throughout this episode of some stuff that we have coming up, but in really looking at changing mental health care in the spirit of putting in place what works to be able to do this through Medicaid and Medicare and other national systems, to be able to look at what changing mental health in the educational settings and the correctional settings actually looks like in ways that research shows and talk to by people who are in positions to either change that or people who are in positions that see what works, but the systems don't allow for what works. And to be able to really bring together a call to action for how we can change government policy and the implementation of those policies. This is where we take this look at problems and turn this into solution-oriented advocacy efforts. And we're really happy with the interviews that we've been conducting on this. It's a new way that we're going to be looking at some of the ways that we do our podcast. You're going to hear us kind of approach things a little bit differently in some of these episodes. We have hope that things can get better. And it does take that critical mass that Katie was talking about, that it's not just getting stuck on looking at these problems and thinking that they're going to be around forever, but it's coming together saying these are problems that we're no longer willing to stand for because they are impacting us and because it's impacting us, it's impacting clients. So we'll include some links to stuff in our show notes. Once again, that's at mtsgpodcast.com. Please continue to reach out to us. Let us know what you think of this episode and any others, and we'll gladly address those. And don't forget to uh, subscribe to hear all of the new and exciting things that Katie and I have coming up. Join our therapist Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group. And until next time, 
I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 